I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Weaker earnings, a weakening economy, weighing on stocks. They both are today. The Investment Committee debating what all of it means as another voting Fed member speaks in just minutes. We'll have the headlines there. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, Amy Raskin, Jim Labenthal, both of whom are here with me at Post 9. Let's check the markets. We've been in the red for much of the day. I said, you know, you got a slew of weaker earnings. Some economic data was a bit weaker. And as I mentioned, you do have Waller and Mester. They are speaking momentarily. Any headlines that you need to know about, be sure we will bring them to you. I guess, Josh, my first question would be if we were, you know, looking to declare victory after the first few earnings reports came out from the banks, maybe those folks jumped the gun uh, just a little bit. I think so. And one of the points that I think we on the desk tried to make uh, emphatically in my case uh, was that we should not extrapolate the first week's worth of earnings, which were mostly financials, to the rest of their uh, to to the rest of what we would hear from companies in other sectors of the economy, and that uh, seems to have been uh, the right posture, let's say, uh, because there are a lot of challenges and a lot of headwinds to earnings right now. The good news is that's kind of what the street had been expecting anyway. It's not as though estimates were ratcheted up during the course of the the, the first quarter. Um, and 78 companies in the S&P 500 prior to earnings season had already given negative guidance. So it's 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 a it's a little bit of a drop, but it's a drop into a pillow, not not onto the hard ground. Um, on balance, if you look at through 420 of this year, 53% of all trading days are positive, which doesn't sound amazing until you remember a year ago at this time through 420 of 2022 only 41% of all trading days were positive. So we've got a much better just overall tone in the market, even on days that, that where the data is not so great uh, or maybe the news flow is not so hot. Um, and one thing I would point out is even in the, in the more recent past, over the last uh, uh, tr- trading days that are up in the past 20, hit 65% last week. And that is the highest figure since November 2021, which was the peak of the the prior bull market. So we've had just a much better tone overall, way better than last year, Mm -hmm. better than average if you look at the last month or so. And so we can deal with days like today where you get some some stuff like Tesla, which I know we're going to talk about. Uh, People are just generally feeling a little bit better. And I think that shows in how many days are going out positive. We've been Bryn resilient. There's there's no denying that. Uh, But now you got, you know, again, it was a couple weeks ago where all of those economic reports out the week before last were negative. And and here we go again. And I'll read through some of those in a moment. But in terms of earnings, which I want to hit first, Weaker margins, Tesla, Amex, EPS miss, AT&T, Rev miss, Key Bank, Rev miss, Zion's uh, net interest income miss, EPS miss, fifth third, right? So the, the tone has changed uh, somewhat. Maybe it's just a day. We're going to find out. Uh, but if you were declaring victory based on banks and some airlines, maybe that was a little too quick. 
Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, three of those companies you mentioned are regional banks. And so I think that they're a really good tell. I think this quarter's earnings for the regional banks is too early because SVB happened right towards the end of Q1. But that, that tightening of the regional banks really doesn't matter to the stock market, but it definitely matters to the U.S. economy. So, you know, I think this narrative that everyone thought at the beginning of the year the Fed's going to de declare victory. Somehow, for some reason, that's not negative. We're going to cut rates, and then we're off to the races. I just think if you had that base case, you have to think again. Because to Josh's points about resiliency, you know, the market has been so resilient. It really looked past you know, SVB and saying, well, that was just idiosyncratic to that bank. Deposit outflows have stopped. And so, so to me, where I think what's ultimately going to happen, my base case, is the Fed is going to over-tighten because this elusive soft landing after this much of an aggressive tightening, I think is a probability less than 10%. And so I think as the year progresses, this, this, this environment where we have strong labor, still strong wage growth, the economy's doing okay, the Fed seems to be in when you had the two, the two presidents come out today and say, we're still going to read our Fed playbook and stay strong. It's like they're just looking right in front of them, like they're drivers for the first time looking straight down except looking out over the horizon. Because I've talked about this before, Scott, even with a, if we get 0.4 month over month CPI growth, which I don't know if we'll get that, by June we're going to have a three handle on inflation. And so I think this rhetoric out of the Fed, if they were going to continue to actually be aggressive, would just be the wrong medicine at the wrong time. We've taken our antibiotics, inflation's coming down, but I still think they're going to over tighten. And that's going to be the event that ultimately causes us to reduce rates later in the year. You know, Jimmy, um, you know, Santoli was saying earlier, there's really no denying the soft landing scenario is looking a little less likely. Philly Fed, uh, much weaker than estimates. Jobless claims, pretty high. Uh, existing home sales fell slightly more than expected. LEI, more than expected. Yeah. Coupled with some, you know, pretty nasty looking earnings from some. Yeah, well, so you know what I'm wondering is like, when is the future now? Like, we keep talking about soft landing, hard landing, no landing, crash landing. Like, at what point do we look around and say, this is the landing right here? And I'm telling you, I think it's right now. I think you look at whether it's GDP. And of course, Scott, you can look at the Philly Fed. It was a terrible number. We can offset that with the New York uh, Empire State Manufacturing Survey. I think that was Monday or Tuesday. So this is the economy better. is as bad as it's going to get is right now. Well, you just I'm, said saying, that. I'm saying that's a supposition. And I'm actually, I'm not going to wimp out on this. Okay, yeah, that is what I'm saying. It's not definite. But what I'm saying is we keep talking about this landing as if it's in the future. We've been doing that since last summer. You know, it's now we're in the middle of the spring. I mean, we're almost a year past Jamie Dimon saying hurricane and Elon Musk saying super bad feeling. After a certain point in time, we've got to acknowledge that the reality on the ground is you got two and a half percent GDP growth and earnings. Now, look, bad night last night, right? No question about it. But Scott, Tom Lee, his group every morning puts out where estimates are. We're so early. We're so early. 13% of S&P 500 companies have reported, but the estimates have gone up a tick since the, since the earnings season started. So, I mean, look, there are bad news like the Philly Fed. There's bad news like some earnings misses, which by the way, don't sound that terrible to me. Um, but on whole, when you balance everything, I think we're getting the soft landing right now. 
Okay, you want to you want to take that on, Amy? <laughs> right, um, Please do. No, I, you know, I, I, it's obvious you don't I, you don't I, agree. I don't, I don't agree. No, I think uh, um, economic data is weakening, and I think it will continue to weaken. Um, it does feel dragged out, but that's because we started at such a high level. Growth was so strong coming out of the pandemic, so it's taking longer than normal to get to probably uh, in an inevitable recession at some point. Um, but I would agree with some things that Jim said. I do think, you know, economic, the city economic surprise index was okay, relatively good, actually. Um, so, you know, earnings are weak, but we expected them to be weak for the most part. And if you look, if you decide, you know, um, take apart the Philly Fed, I, and you, the prices paid was much weaker than employment. And I think if we're continue to be in this environment where prices come down, and, you know, to bring saying that the the Fed is looking right in front of them. I would argue the Fed is looking behind them. Inflation's a notoriously lagging indicator. Sure. So inflation's going to continue to come down, and I think that will keep keep you know the market sort of around these levels. Because as long as inflation continues to come down without unemployment spiking, we're going to be in an okay environment. I'm surprised, Jim, that you would make a declaration that this is the worst it's going to get when we know that the economic data is undeniably getting weaker. That's not true. And she just said the Citigroup uh, surprise index. you got to take it in its totality. Okay, so The Citigroup surprise index, which measures the totality of, of economic surprises, has been moving up. So the economy is getting stronger? No. It's not getting weaker? No, is that what you're saying? Versus well, expectations. Well, is that what you're versus arguing? Ex- I mean, versus if you expectations. Get, but if you get like ISM and PMI services from a, a couple weeks back, yeah. weak. Jobless well, here, claims... Let me be clear about something. Let me be finished before you do that. Um, Jobless claims are becoming more elevated. I mean, there are clear signs that the economy is weakening and that the labor market may actually be starting to weaken as well. Yeah, it's the economy is going to weaken a little bit. But the recession, I don't agree that the recession is the base case probability. We at my firm have a 35 percent probability of that. The soft landing, by the way, is that the economy continues to grow as inflation comes down. Both of those things are happening right now. Now, Bryn makes the point, and it's very well made, and I fear this, that the Fed may just simply screw it up, that they may simply not accept that we have the soft landing right now. We hear various Fed speakers say things like, well, inflation hasn't changed. Yes, it has. Over the last nine months, nine months, it's a long time, it's running at 3.7% on the headline. Forget PPI. Um, So, look, my point is not that things can't weaken from here, but to go take the jobless claims, 248, 245, wherever that is, that's exactly where they were back in 2019 when we had an incredibly tight labor market. Okay, that's when you were having signing bonuses for people to, to start working at McDonald's. And my point is, is that all of this fear of the recession, we've been doing it for almost a year. It just isn't here. Well, because there's such a tremendous lag effect. The Fed's going to raise 500 basis points and there's not going to be much of much of an impact. Um, Should be some impact, but we haven't seen any. The GDP is at two and a half percent. I mean, I'm just stating the facts and I agree. Somebody's going to say, well, then Amy may well say, it. "Okay, let's wait three months. But I've been waiting three months for about a year now. So, Josh, how do you want to address that? It's an illusion from higher prices paid. It's not. It's not growth. It's people raised their prices over last year. Jim, if if I uh, if 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 I sell you something for ten dollars this year and the next year charge you twelve dollars, is that twenty percent economic growth? Keep going, Josh. No, we're that's what I'm asking. We're talking about real GDP. I don't understand why you're talking in nominal terms. We're talking about real GDP growing at two and a half percent. I really okay, don't understand but what why I'm you would tell- go to prices I'm t- paid. 
Because what I'm suggesting is, are we talking about growth in terms of unit or unit price? And this is, I think, one of the more... Well, who 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 cares is Real that GDP who cares is, is the that baseline of what we're all supposed to look at. It takes out inflation, takes out units. I, I understand, you know, we I understand, but you know what doesn't? But you know what doesn't? You know what doesn't? You know what doesn't take take those out? Uh, same store sales growth, for example, uh, revenue for S and P five hundred companies um, does does not adjust for those things. So yes, you nominally do have GDP growth. But nobody, nobody that you talk to, nobody that you talk to, nobody that you talk to in the real economy, nobody that you talk to feels as though there's economic growth right now. Talk to the airlines. They reported today. Talk to GPC. They reported last night, excuse me, this morning. Talk to Union Pacific. You know, this idea that everything's falling off a cliff just is not accurate to the I didn't say that. Why does it have to be one or the other? Why does it have to be falling off a cliff? It's not falling off a cliff. It's slowing or decelerating you said, you or whatever said, euphemism to, that we want to talk to anyone in the economy. OK, I said in response to anyone yeah. in the economy, talk to the airlines, talk to GPC, talk to Union Pacific. Which, You're by the, the way, I'm just responding okay. to your words. Alaska Air High, higher, pri- higher prices. What? Real why GDP is, this is up two and a half percent. You tell me why it's complicated for you to get the ru- the word real into your head. Real adjusts for higher prices. I have the, it's not that I hard. have the word why I have the word real, but we can't invest in because we can't invest in GDP. We invest in in corporate the stock of corporations. You can't buy GDP. So let's let's focus on what we're hearing from companies right now. They may be getting overly cautious, but I think they're doing a really good job at balancing what is obviously, uh, uh, airlines aside, obviously a situation where demand is cooling. That's what the Fed wants. The Fed will get its way. I actually agree with you and with Amy that the inflation picture has gotten better. It just takes forever. It's falling glacially and not at the same pace at which it rose in late 21, early 22. I, mean, I understand all of that. There I'm, is, just, I'm just making the point the stock market is not yet fully reflecting what we're hearing from companies. Yeah, there is D.R. Horton, CEO today, quote, spring, uh, spring selling season is off to an encouraging start. I mean, if, if we threw up the housing stocks, they wouldn't be telling a you know you know why you know why because there's a 1.1 because there's 1.1 million houses available of supply which is significantly lower than the pre-pandemic uh, uh, period there just there is no supply because existing home sales are down 22 percent. So DR Horton happens to be uh, all of the home building stocks. They look incredible right now because we have a supply deficit nationwide, most major metro markets, and that's not really going to change no matter what. So I wouldn't look at uh, new home sales as being a gauge of anything. We just don't have enough houses. What do you want to say, Jim, about autos, you know, off the Tesla margins for GM getting hammered? today on concerns of an auto price war, yeah. right? You, know, you no longer really have supply constraints, but you may have demand issues, and thus you're gonna have prices continue to come down, and that's ultimately gonna hit the bottom line for stocks that really couldn't get out of their own way in the first place. There's a price war in EVs, there is, and it's, and it's uh, initiated and continuing by Tesla, that's fine. 
you know, in terms of internal combustion engines and the pickups and the SUVs that Ford and GM are selling, and that's where the bulk of their business is, that the demand is still there. It's still very, very high. And actually, GPC's earnings today indicate exactly why the demand is there, is because the average age of the autos on, on U.S. highways is at a record. It's about 12 and a half times. They're falling apart. People need new cars. You actually want volume at GM and Ford to be picking up to meet that demand. Almost similarly to what Josh is just saying about the housing market, you want new cars to be produced as fast as they can get the chips to meet that demand. It isn't going away, even if Tesla has initiated an EV price war. You know, speaking of EVs uh, and Tesla, Bryn, what do you want to what do you want to say about about this stock? Where price targets, at least ten of them, were cut today on these margin concerns. They continue to cut prices. Analysts suggest they probably aren't done doing it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm mostly surprised that these analysts were surprised. It's like Tesla's team has been crystal clear; they're cutting prices and. To me, the eye of the prize is not in the U.S. If, if I go back and look at Tesla, I know in the U.S. we like to think we're the most important consumer, but as it relates to EVs, it's China. The U.S. is 9% of the EV market. Europe is 24. China is 60%. And so Elon has, where he's the number one EV maker in spades in the U.S., Tesla has to compete very heavily to stay in China. And China is going to have 9 million EVs this year, estimated 2.5 million more than last year. And so, so he needs to spend, spend, spend to make sure he is getting people in those cars. And so well, I think the operating margins came in at 11.4 for Tesla. To me, the biggest losers in the U.S. are Ford and GM, whose margins, and Jim can correct me if I'm wrong, I think are 5 to 6%. And I believe those will be falling because while internal combustion engines are the majority of the sales, the majority of the CapEx they're spending is in EVs. So I wasn't surprised by the stock being down. I, I do think that 212 price for Tesla we will look back and say that was the high of the year. I think the next couple quarters will be weak for the stock. But as you remember, I bought it at 120 during all the Twitter nonsense. Mm -hmm. I sold the April 150 calls and I got 10 bucks. So tomorrow, my, my position that was called will get called away. I will still own some other shares, some other shares outright. But I think that continues to be the way I want to play Tesla from a, from a size position, is if it sells off more, that option volatility is so high that you can get some really big premium. But, you know, finally, I don't know if everyone knows this, but beginning in 2025, the Biden administration has said, you know, all, minim, all critical minerals to EVs cannot be mined or produced in China. Well, Tesla announced the Dallas Fed reported that Tesla announced they're going to be building a refiner, a lithium refiner in Corpus Christi. So once that goes online, it's going to cost a lot of money. They're going to be one of the few refiners of lithium, you know, those facilities in the U.S. So this is much more than a car company, um, but definitely I'm surprised. Bottom line, I'm surprised these analysts are surprised that the margins are falling. It's just simple, simple math. Yeah, sure. But you still have to take into consideration, you know, what you're paying up for in terms of compressing margins, albeit they still have such a tremendously large lead over the others, but it is something to consider. I want to discuss with you, um, you trimmed NVIDIA yep. in, I don't know, the last week yep. or, or so. One of the highest of high flyers yep. to start the year. Why'd you do that? 
for uh, that reason? Because, yes, just because it has worked so well year to date. I mean, it's up 90% or something like that. We still own it. It's still a core position. It has been for about a decade now, so we continue to trade around it. But um, given the move and the current valuation, we just thought it was prudent to take some off the table. Interesting. You, you trimmed LVMH, too, yes. um, which has been ripping. Now, right. I, I mean, I right. know you could say, well, that's exactly why we did. However, what worries, why? What worries me about LVMH is everybody's saying the way to play China now is to invest in LVMH. So we it's been working. Thought, it has been working. And again, we still own it. But once everybody says it, and it had a fantastic quarter, and the stock was up a little bit, but not no not anywhere near where the earnings went up. So that tells me that there's a lot of expectations in the stock already. So again, we like it as a core holding. Um, it's done well for us and we're just taking a little off the table. Yeah, it's been one of those uh, trading at highs. I mentioned that uh, Mester and Waller were speaking uh, this hour. We do have these headlines now uh, from Loretta Mester, uh, who says policy needs to quote, move somewhat further into restrictive territory, sees the funds rate moving above 5%. That implies one more uh, rate hike, as is now, I think, widely considered. Progress is being made. Inflation remains too high. Core PCE services, ex-housing, has not really improved. Prepare to change views, quote, as changes in conditions warrant. Closely watching lending conditions, tighter credit work in the same direction as monetary policy. We've heard that from some of the other Fed speakers as well. You, uh, you did have some uh, Fed speak overnight. Austin Goolsby, of course, the Chicago Fed president, really doubling down on his prudent and patient uh, message. So John Williams also speaking overnight, inflation too high. We'll use our tools to restore price stability. So uh, we'll see what the impact is. Uh, the market likely taking this in stride because it really isn't anything new and nothing different really from what you heard from Rafael Bostic, the Atlanta Fed president, a couple days ago right here on this network as well, which suggested go in May and then I'm prepared to hold and, and, and we'll see what happens. Let's do this. Let's step away. We'll take a quick break. S&P's down about 19 and a half, not moving too much on the Mester headlines. We're watching the latest moves in crude as well as prices there hit three-week lows. We'll get the take on that next. All right, there's the Dow oil. There it is, WTI. That's about a three-week low. Integrated, refiners, oil services, ENPs, Bryn, they're all lower today. How are we thinking about this as we're talking like we started the show? Weakening economy, oil, as I said, three-week low. What does it mean for these stocks? I think you have more, I'll call it financial speculation, just like trading around it. Because anytime we think the U.S. is going to go into a, just call it a contraction, right? The playbook would be to sell energy because demand would come down. That's just like plain and simple. That will remain a headwind this year for energy names. You also have, to me, the biggest surprise to the market is that China, as we all know, it's taken longer to reopen. I think there was a lot of excitement baked in earlier this year that China demand for, for oil would pick up more quickly. That's been really slow. I think that will happen. And so to me, the cross current this year that will be interesting as the, the largest economy is potentially going into a contraction, while the second largest economy in the world, China, is coming out of their self-imposed contraction. How do those dynamics play? Because as you all know, China is a massive consumer of fossil fuels and will be for, for decades. So I think that as an investor, the way I'm playing it is that I own my names, I continue to collect my dividend, and then you know I add it to names during SVB. 
I will then sell calls. I think that is a way to play it, to focus on dividend and selling 10, 15% out of the money calls and having 2023 be a year of accumulation of these names, not expecting a bunch of capital appreciation. Yeah, Amy, EOG, Nextera, Shell, SLB. Yeah. How would you uh, assess this trade at this particular time? Um, we're still overweight energy. We've trimmed it back significantly, but um, I'm not super optimistic going into a recession and, and an economy, although I did recently see an interesting analysis that showed energy trades more in line with its CapEx, with the, with the sector CapEx, than the overall macroeconomic environment, and that was encouraging, but it outperformed so much last year. It did so much for us. Um, I just don't think it's going to be the standout this year. If, if you don't think we're going to have a recession and this is as bad as it gets, you must be super bullish on these names that you have. Yeah, I'll say, I'll Exxon, say bullish. Transocean, Kinder Morgan. I, I am bullish. Um, you know, I'm looking at a chart right now of crude oil over the last year, and it's really been about five, almost six months that it's been in this range. And it gets to the top of it when you get, you know, OPEC cuts, and it gets to the bottom of it when demand is worried about falling off. I, I kind of feel like the mid-70s is where crude oil belongs on West Texas Intermediate, and that's a level at which all those companies you just mentioned, Scott, can make money. The one thing that I find is a tell is Transocean. This is the highest baited oil you can probably find in the space. And uh, their, their rigs are getting contracted at higher and higher day rates. Every quarter they put out their fleet status report, you can easily track it. Um, so there is belief within the oil patch that these uh, rates on, on West Texas Intermediate are probably where we're going to stay in the mid-70s. To your friend uh, Mark Fisher, right? He says, hey, you know, we're going to be between 85 and 65. Maybe it's a little tighter than that, but I think he's right. Josh, you own the IEO. Yeah, I think in this market, it's important to distinguish between short-term noise and, and the larger uh, trends that are in force. And I agree with Amy. It's much more, if, if you think about the driver of these prices, it's not a given that weaker uh, economic data automatically translates into lower commodity prices, and certainly not a given that the stocks would react that way either. Um, so if you think about what's going on right now, we had that big burst of enthusiasm for these stocks shortly after the surprise production cut from OPEC Plus, my favorite streaming service, um, and then they've cooled off. The crack spread hit a two-month low today, and what that does is it stops refiners from purchasing as much crude as they did the week before. But that kind of thing works itself out. So I think there is support uh, for, for oil prices where they are now. I know the nat gas inventories were a little bit high. I know the gasoline inventories were a little bit high. But it's, no it's, it's noisy stuff. Like next week's data, the week after's data could be radically different. And then you'll see them rally 2% versus sell off 2%. So I think stay focused on the fact that these companies are highly profitable. They've gotten a lot of cost discipline. Um, they know what they're doing. They understand what their shareholders want. And I think they're okay. All right, coming up. We have a big update to a story we brought you earlier this week on the chips. Christina Partzinevelos is back here at Post 9 with those details next. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update for you. Senator Dick Durbin, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, sent a letter to Chief Justice John Roberts inviting him to testify regarding Supreme Court ethics reform. Justice Clarence Thomas has sparked controversy recently over various complaints about his personal ties and relationships. The last time the Congressional Committee heard testimony from sitting justices was October 2011. Overseas, a group of angry demonstrators briefly invaded the Paris Euronext building, protesting France's new pension law. They insist 
Big companies must finance pensions after President Emmanuel Macron raised the retirement age by two years. Recent protests across the country have targeted French luxury goods giant LVMH and financial service firm BlackRock. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg made a surprise visit to Ukraine for the first time since Russia's invasion 14 months ago. Stoltenberg pledged to continue military support for Ukraine, and President Zelensky told the NATO chief it's time for the alliance to offer Ukraine full membership in the United Nations. Scott? Contessa, thank you. Contessa mm -hmm. Brewer. All right, we do have an update now on a story we brought you earlier this week on the semis. Christina Partsinevelos is back at Post 9. With that update, it's about Taiwan Semi, right? Yes. Where there were it, worries that they were going to... Cut CapEx. Right. Well, Taiwan Semi right now is <laughs> dispelling rumors right. today and reiterating its full-year guidance, uh, capital guidance, I should say, the range of 32 to $36 billion. This is according to FactSet data, and that includes building the chip plant here in Arizona, uh, as long as TSMC can actually work out the red tape with the CHIPS Act and the U.S. government, but that's a whole other story. But what is true from today's report and previous reports is a chip slowdown, and that's why the company guided the June quarter 7% lower quarter over quarter. There's a few reasons that I listed out. You got first, a lower than expected China reopening recovery. Secondly, continued weakness from PC and mm -hmm. smartphones, which was still not enough to offset the upswing in AI spend. Lastly, auto spend, which is the bread and butter for so many, was steady and the only device category that witnessed sequential growth in Q1. But is that going to soften? So the takeaway that we also saw from Lam Research yesterday in their earnings, the inventory correction is taking a little bit longer than expected to overcome. Management calling for a bottom in the second quarter. Exactly. Gradual recovery in the second half of the year, driven by new products like Apple's chip for the iPhone 15S. What, what really raised, I guess, some questions for me is the fact that the PC bottom hasn't come in, and we have Intel's earnings that are out next week, and you have so many analysts that have already called for a bottom, but if TSMC is saying, hey, there's still continued weakness. What does that mean for a name like Intel and Qualcomm, all these names that have exposure to smartphones as well as PCs? Let's ask Jim Labenthal, since he owns Qualcomm and he owns NXP. Ooh, uh, And you just mentioned auto. I know, you made me feel good, thank <laughs> Auto, steady, but yeah. slowing was the word, I think, the words that, that you use. Um, yeah, well, I think I think you said steady, but Softening. also saw Slowing. growth, didn't you? you oh, no, it's the only one in yeah. the quarter that saw sequential growth quarter okay. over quarter, but yeah. according to these various analyst reports, softening is happening. Okay, you, you know, with the earlier discussion about autos, we're talking about demand for autos, but production is likely to stay high, and there's a reason why inventories are simply too low. Now, this has nothing to do with end-user demand. This simply has to do with the fact that autos are going to be produced to be making up for what was lost over the last year and a half, two years. That should benefit not only NXPI but also Qualcomm. It's a smaller part of Qualcomm's business, as you know, but it's actually a growing, nicely oh, growing huge, part of... Tennis, of uh, what, what is the goal? Like 100 million? Oh, some shoot, really big a, number. That, yeah. yeah. Um, but they, they, they've made some key acquisitions there. I think for Qualcomm, though, the real question is how much has the bottom really been formed in smartphones? Um, we're getting some positive indications there, but I think it's really too early to declare victory on that. But I look forward to their report because it's so darn cheap right now. There's a lot of room for upside surprise. It sounds crazy. Christina, as well, is it's too early to declare the bottom in PCs yeah. from what you just said, Yeah, exactly, too. which is why now I'm questioning what's the theory that we're going to go into Intel next week. The one thing, though, that I was thinking is maybe we are overestimating the days, and I know there's a saying, overestimating the days and underestimating the years when it comes to AI, because here's an example. We keep talking about AI, NVIDIA, and it's still not enough to offset the weakness in just the general PC uh, yeah. 
Smartphone market. And just about everybody on the show but Jim owns NVIDIA. We mentioned, yeah. Amy, that, that you're trimming it. Um, Josh, how do you see the chips here? With, you know, in, in light of, of what Christina is reporting here, you know, Lamb Research obviously had a, had a really good report. So I think the debate here is whether or not you believe the chip sector overall and demand trends for chips are more cyclical these days or more secular. And for a long time, this was a secular growth story. And yes, the stock prices would ebb and flow with uh, the overall market and the economy, but chip growth was just, it was there. And I don't know that we can definitely say that anymore. And I've referred to the semiconductor space as the new transports. So let's take a look at a three-year chart of the SMH, just as a shorthand. You had a moving average crossover to start the year. The 50-day broke above the 200-day. You had a new uptrend confirmed. Um, now these stocks are sitting on the 50-day. They look like they want to violate and roll over. I don't know that I want to run in front of that and take the chance that that happens because the last time it happened, you had a 20% drawdown in the space. So I think they're tough here. They're right in the middle of the range over the last, let's call it 36 months, and they're looking rollovery. And, you know, if you think about what's in that SMH, we could debate cell phone chips or shortwave chips or, or GP. We could debate all that stuff. But in the end, these stocks tend to move in lockstep. And it's, it's not looking terrible, but it's not looking particularly bullish either. I'm looking for new highs, not rollovers. Christine, I'll give you the last word, um, but definitely put rollovery. I know. In your vocabulary, I'm going to use that rollover. If we're going to just take what we've heard from LAM, uh, from ASML, saying that there's mixed demand signals, I don't know if necessarily the bottom is in. Maybe we're entering this bottom right now, which could see some upswing post June. All right, good stuff. Thanks for coming down here. Of course. That's Christina Partsinovelis. I'll see you on Closing Bell. Up next, our call of the day a downgrade for one defense stock. Jim owns it. We debate it. We'll do it next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us hashtag grade my trade. All right, let's do our call of the day. It's Jeffries today downgrading Raytheon to hold from buy. They cite concerns about profitability and free cash flow. Jimmy, this is yours. We talked defense the other day. I think it was as related to Lockheed Martin more than mm -hmm. Raytheon. Um, what do you make of this call, though? I, make of this call. Let me start by saying I really do still like the stock a lot. I'm not selling a share. I understand what the analyst is saying. At the last earnings call, management said they're going to reorganize the various subsectors of the business to really focus on improving defense margins. And what the analyst, I mean, he's got a few things in here, but what he's really focused in on is he's not sure that a reorg like that is going to work. And that is a legitimate opinion that he can have. To me, the reorg makes a lot of sense because they're streamlining their businesses. What used to be in two businesses, going into one, and you cut costs when you do that. The demand for defense, uh, uh, Raytheon's defense products is unfortunately staying high. The commercial aerospace business, Pratt & Whitney, Whitney Engines, as fast as they can produce those engines, Airbus and Boeing wants them. So the upshot of this is I think the analyst is, for this is one of those rare times that hold means hold the stock. I know it's a downgrade from buy, Scott, but I really think he's, he's, he might be being a little bit too cute in the short term. Long term, it seems clear he likes this I mean, stock. I I hear all that what you're saying and the unfortunate reality of the 
the world that we live in and, and all of that, which you always you know, talk about. Um, Raytheon's up 2% year to date. The ITA's up 4%. Defense spending not going away. Mm-hmm. We know that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that these stocks are going straight up to the right. No matter how it's many fair, times you point. say it, it's absolutely not criticizing you, but no, 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 it's a fair. It's point. not necessarily a one-to-one correlation. Defense spending going up, so these stocks are just going to continue to go up. Uh, another way of saying what you're saying is it could be priced into the stock already. I mean, it could be right, and and you know, at 20 times forward earnings, or actually, I think it's about 17 times forward earnings. That that's not a crazy thing to say, but I think I think the multiple is forgiving enough. This is a stock that goes through fits and starts. By the way, I mean, the last uh, three years, it's up 20 percent on average each year. That's P up 15%. So you got to go through these periods where it's kind of dull. Um, but I don't think this is a stock at 102 that you're looking at going below 95. Now, famous last words, and I know you're it's expensive. I know right? you're, it's 20, 20 and a half times forward PE. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's a little pricey. It's a little pricey. Sorry, I thought it was 17. Listen, I know your memory is like an elephant's and it's like a steel trap, so I don't think this is going below 95. Could it go from 102 to 95? Sure, it could. I'm not going to sell in anticipation of that because I think over the next year and two years, it will be meaningfully higher. Yeah. Uh, the P, okay. All right. Uh, Josh, what about you? I mean, you do have the ITA and you did weigh in the other day as well. Um, do you think that a lot of the good news, as Jim was you know, suggesting I was alluding to, is already in these names, and I mean good news in quotes, for obvious reasons. Yeah, it's not good news. It's ter- no, it's terrible yeah, yeah, news, course. and unfortunately, un- un- unfortunately, things do not seem to be uh, making any kind of progress or any kind of turn anytime soon. You see uh, Janet Yellen uh, trying to do with China now in her rhetoric the same thing that was attempted with Putin 15 years ago. It's just this is not the way the world is going. So um, it's unfortunate. Pull up a five-year chart of the ITA. You can see that these stocks right before the pandemic, February of 2020, were on the verge of really breaking out. The pandemic happened. Uh, Boeing is a big weight in this in this ETF. They just they destroyed it. And it spent the last three three years and change clawing its way back. It is right back at that breakout level from February 2020. And I hate to say it, but I think she's going through. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli is with us for his midday word when we come back on the half. All right, we're back. There's the Dow down about 50 points. Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator, is here for his midday word. Um, I truly feel I said this to you yesterday. We're just not going to do anything. It doesn't seem like until mega cap tech reports like Fed speak isn't doing anything to the market at all. For sure. Um, There has been a little bit of ammo out there for bears, you would think, this week, right? UK inflation coming in high, soft U.S. data like Philly Fed, uh, and you say the Fed is being vigilant in its message. You've had these intraday dips. They've been bought each time. Now, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be told as soon as I get off here, it's options expiration week, and the market stays trapped in these ranges, and it seems like it's very mechanical, and that's what's going on. And that's partly true. But if there was enough wholesale de-risking selling liquidation in response to that news, you would have gotten more of a of a broad decline than we've had. So at this point, it does seem like digestion. I, I hear what you're saying about mega cap tech, but they're not moving as a group anymore. No, okay? I know. Tesla's down seven and a half percent. Used to matter a lot. Nvidia is not following. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing Alphabet's up today. So I think it, it, it matters in terms of that's where the 
the, the aggregate dollar value of earnings are coming from uh, in the biggest way, and you want to see how they perform. Uh, but index level, it's been a lot of offsetting moves. It's been a lot of really rotation uh, and, and also just an uneven message because you got the, you've been talking about the builders being strong. Um, you know, you have airlines doing well, and the trucking data is awful. Yeah, um, right. With and, J- and the right, autos are, are lousy, right? So yeah. uh, you have to, it's a selective uh, type market at this point. And, and to me, it seems like a normal pullback. If we get one that's a little bit deeper, if we don't crack 4,000 on the S&P, it's kind of textbook. I, I also feel like there's a, a, a debate still being had as to whether bad economic news yeah. is overall bad news or well that's or right. good news because well the fed's going to cut and then it's like well if they're cutting it's because the economy's the really story bad since but- svb has been you bought you bought your step bought us a, a slightly more dovish fed than we would otherwise have had what's the cost of that that's the debate every single day is is the economic cost of an easier fed or a fed that's about done uh too much to bear for stocks yeah all right i'll see you in closing bell okay. that's mike santoli grade my trade is up next Let's do grade my trade. Bryn, you are up first from Ed. I own Albemarle, $225 cost basis. Should I add more? Ed, um, I own it as well. And uh, I give you a a B. Obviously, the stock's at 193. The stock price since February, I'll give that an F. It was at 293, as you are well aware. It's at 193 right now. And really what you need to track are lithium spot prices which are down about 40% year to date, mainly because of concern about an oversupply, which I think is temporary in China. I think this is a great secular name, not only for EV, but also on onshoring, which Jim talks about a lot. Albemarle is a US-based company. So I think down here, it actually looks really interesting and I'm actually looking to add to the position in the 190s. Josh, how long has it been since you owned Albemarle? You're the first person, I think, on this program to even talk about that stock. I learned something very important from that experience, stock, uh, Scott. I, I owned it probably six years ago, and I was dead right on it, but it didn't work out in the first six months. So everywhere I went, people would be like, still like that Albemarle? What do you think of that ALB? Still like it? <laughs> and it like sour. No, really. Like, like steakhouses, airports. You know what? That's one of the hardest parts about this show is keeping your conviction when you look stupid temporarily this would have been like a three or four bagger for me um but i just couldn't take the heat of staying with it because it dropped as soon as i bought it um so that's one to grow on i don't, I don't know where i was going with that yeah all right what time all is right. it right. <laughs> we got some time right. uh amy we're going to you accenture from reva bought accenture acn uh, March 17th of this year, about a month ago, obviously, uh, 249 $249. You own that stock? I do. We have a small position, and um, we're debating, honestly, what to do with it now. I, I'm going to give that by a, a C, and my own ownership right now a C, because, as I said, we're debating about what to do with our stock. The stock isn't particularly cheap. Um, it did get a pop recently on news that it was laying off a good percentage of its employees, so I, it's not necessarily a great sign. Historically, it's a low beta tech stock, so it does do well in a recession. Or if you're, you know, have have people want to go defensive. Mm-hmm. That said, it is also a consultant, so it is exposed. You know, people cut consulting first um, rather than firing people. All so right. there's a lot of cross currents there. All right, good stuff. Final trades. They're coming up next.
All right, closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern, Joe Terranova, Lisa Levine. we got more Fed speakers. We'll get you set up for some earnings as well as we've been doing all week long. I hope you'll join me then. Bryn, final trade to you first. Gilead, I really like the biopharmaceutical space. It's got a close to 7% free cash flow yield and a 3.6 dividend. So I think it will continue to be a good name to own this year. All right, Josh Brown. Look at the action in Berkshire Hathaway, 50 and 200 day moving averages, both turning up, clearing about five months worth of congestion right now. I think it's a breakout. Okay, thank you, Farmer. Jim. Wynn Resorts, just look at Las Vegas Sands report yesterday night. Uh, as well, it's been consolidating for two months and looks like it's breaking out right now. All right, casinos are still hot. What do you have, Amy? Uh, Vertex Pharmaceutical, um, continuing with the healthcare theme, stock's been in a strong trend. We think that's lots of shots on gold. All right, good stuff. Thanks for watching. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer.